Welcome to Peace by Believing. My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on our program, we're going to be thinking about the special anointing of God. The special anointing of God. Now, maybe you've heard that word before, anointing. And maybe you've always wondered, well, what is that? What does it mean to have the anointing? Does every Christian have it, and how do I get it, and how do I know if I have it, and what difference will it make? Well, today we're going to be thinking about that. What does it mean when a person has the special anointing of God on his or her life? If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking today in Acts chapter number 6 at the life of a man named Stephen. And Stephen was a man who lived a long time ago, and yet he loved God with all of his heart. He trusted Jesus Christ with all of his soul, and he had the special anointing of God on his life, and it made all the difference in the world. And so I'm praying that today's program will be a real blessing to you. I heard about a deacon in a small country church who came forward one night to lead the offertory prayer. And While he was praying, he was praying that God would bless the offerings, that God would bless the church, that God would bless the community, that God would bless the world. And then at the end of his prayer, he said, God, I just pray that you would give our pastor an unction. And he closed his prayer. After the service, the pastor found that deacon out in the parking lot, and he said, hey, Mr. Deacon, I appreciate that prayer you prayed up there for me today. He said, but I have only one question. When you prayed that God would give me a special unction, what exactly is an unction? And that deacon said, preacher, I don't know what it is, but I felt like you needed it. And I thought it was so appropriate tonight when Roland prayed our offertory prayer. He said, God, please give John an unction because Roland knows me and he knows I need it. I'll guarantee you that. So if you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Acts, chapter number 6, I want to talk to you about a special unction, or maybe we would rather say it this way, how to have a special anointing on your life. What is the secret of a special anointing? And maybe the best way to begin this message tonight would be to simply define what I mean by anointing. What is an anointing? Sometimes you'll hear a a pastor or minister talk about that, and I'm not always sure if we really understand what it means. And so I want to give you a definition that I don't think is exhaustive because, to be totally honest, I don't think that I could fully explain to you what an anointing of the Holy Spirit is because I don't think I fully know what the full anointing of the Holy Spirit is. But I did come up with a definition that I think is pretty good, and I think it puts us on the road to answering this question. The, The anointing of the Holy Spirit is the special presence of God on and in a person's life. Now, let's just stop right there. Listen to what I just said. The special presence of God on and in a person's life. Let's just say that together. The special presence of God on and in a person's life. Now, remember, when you received Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so part of this anointing is that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But it's not just 
that he's in us because every Christian has that. And we know that not every Christian has the special anointing of the Holy Spirit. Not every Christian is filled with the Spirit. So the anointing is not just having the special presence of God in us. It is having the special presence of God on us. It's both. It's interesting. In Old Testament times, the anointing was that second definition. In the Old Testament, we read that the Spirit of God would come on people for specific times to accomplish specific purposes. And then His presence in that manifestation of His presence would move from that person. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in a believer, He never leaves us. But the special presence of God on and in a person's life, you say, well, John, what does this do? What is the, what is the special presence of God do in a person's life? How will my life be different if I have that? Whether we call it an unction or an anointing or the filling of the Spirit or whatever terminology, how will my life be different? Well, keep listening, and you might want to jot these little thoughts down too. The anointing of the Holy Spirit enables a person to love unconditionally. Not only that, the anointing of the Holy Spirit enables a person to rise above the challenges of life. And not only that, this special presence, this special anointing of the Holy Spirit enables a person to minister to others with great power and with great effectiveness. Now I'm going to put all that together because I interrupted myself and kind of explained it while I went. But that is what the anointing of the Holy Spirit is. Now it may be more than that. I think it probably is more than that. But my definition there is nonetheless accurate. It is the special presence of God on and in a person's life that enables that person to love unconditionally, to rise above the challenges of life, and to minister to others with great power and effectiveness. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we read about a man who had this special anointing. He was indeed filled with the Spirit. And as a result of that, he loved unconditionally. He rose above the challenges of his own life. And he was able to minister to others with great power and with great effectiveness, so much so that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this man, Stephen. So I want to show you two verses tonight to begin our study. First of all, in Acts chapter 6 and in verse number 5, we are introduced to this man, Stephen. And in this passage, we're reading how the early church had a practical need that involved feeding widows, helping widows have food. And so they chose a group of men who could carry out this ministry. And one of those men was named Stephen. And notice how it describes him in verse number 5. It says, the second sentence, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now that's the key right there. He was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now go to the next chapter, chapter 7, and look in verse number 55. Because this is... The end of Stephen's life. So when we're introduced to Stephen, he's full of faith. He's full of the Holy Spirit. The next chapter and uh, towards the end, verse 55. But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit. He's described in the same way. Gazed into heaven and so on. And we'll see that part at the end of the message tonight. But twice, in those, just in those two verses, he's actually described that way more than twice. He is described as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Now that word full is an interesting word. It literally means to be covered over by. 
If you brought a sheet up here tonight and covered me with that sheet, I would, you, 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 to use the Bible word, I would be full of that sheet. In other words, that sheet has covered me over. So when it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, it means that he was covered over by the Holy Spirit. And that word full also means that he was influenced by the Holy Spirit. So everything about Stephen's life was affected in one way or another by the Holy Spirit. Not only did he have the Spirit of God living in him, but he had the Spirit of God own him. Had we lived in that day and had, had we seen Stephen and had we gone to the grocery store and there was Stephen, when we saw him, we would have seen something different in him than most everybody else in the store would have had. Why? What was it? It was he was full of the Spirit. He was covered over by the Spirit. He was like wrapped up in the Spirit. And not only that, he was influenced by the Spirit. That, that is the special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, when you have that, when anybody has that, it manifests itself in several very practical ways. Let me just briefly mention three of them tonight. First of all, it shows up in our ministry. It shows up in our ministry. Go back to chapter number 6 and look in verse number 8. It's a tremendous verse. It says, and Stephen, full of faith. I'm reading tonight out of the New King James. If you have the New American Standard or the NIV, it says full of grace. But either way, full of faith and power. Now watch what he did. Did great wonders and signs among the people. Now we're not told exactly what all those wonders were or what all those signs were. But as Stephen went about his daily life, he had the power of God on his life and his ministry was marked by power. He was doing signs and wonders. We don't know exactly what they were, but he was doing some amazing things. Now, I want to show you in the lives of two other people in the book of Acts what these signs and wonders could have been because I want to show you an example from Peter's life and an example from Paul's life of how being filled with the Spirit, having this special anointing of the Holy Spirit shows up in our ministry. So go back to Acts chapter number 4 and look in the 8th verse of that chapter and notice how Peter is described. Same thing said about Peter that is said about Stephen. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Greek word he was covered over by. He was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He had that special anointing. You say, well, John, how did it show up in his life? Well, look in chapter 5 and verse number 15. It says, they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And so Peter was so covered over by the Spirit, he was so influenced by the Spirit, his life had been so changed by the Spirit that when the sick people, uh, when Peter rather was passing by, they were bringing those who were sick and who had various diseases within Peter's distance so that when his shadow passed by, the people thought, this man is so filled with God that we believe that even his shadow has power. Now, in the natural world, a shadow makes things darker, right? I mean, I'm looking at my shadow right here. There it is. 
And here my shadow goes. Wherever I go, my shadow goes. And everywhere I'm seeing my shadow, that's a dark spot on this platform. But in the spiritual realm, our shadow should actually bring light. And our shadow should actually be a blessing to others. And so these people believed that with Peter, there was power in his shadow. Now, it's interesting. The Bible does not actually say that anybody was ever saved as a result of Peter's shadow passing by. It implies that they were, but it doesn't say it. But in verse 16, it says something even greater than that. It says that Peter's ministry reached beyond his shadow. Your shadow only goes a few feet. But look in verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. Now watch this. And they were all healed. And so when the sick people got into Jerusalem and they got into the presence of Peter and others who were filled with the Spirit of God, it was in a very, in, in, in a very real way as though they were coming into the literal presence of Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus is a healer. And so since Peter and these others had the Spirit living in them and on them, God used them to bring about healing in people's lives too. Now, another example. Go to Acts chapter 19. And now we'll read something very similar about the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we were so covered over by the Spirit, so filled with the Spirit, so influenced by the Spirit, that when we walked by, even if people didn't see us, if they just got in our shadow, they would feel the very power and presence of God in their lives. And I know people, and you probably do too, who are so close to God that anytime I'm near them, just their presence, it may be beyond the reach of their shadow, but just their presence alerts me to the presence of Jesus. You remember when, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and her relative Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist and Mary came to visit Elizabeth and when Mary got into Elizabeth's house, And Mary had Jesus in her uh, womb, and Elizabeth had John the Baptist in her womb. And the Bible says when Mary came close that John the Baptist leapt because he sensed, even as an unborn baby, with life in him, he was already sensing there was something special about this other baby that this other lady is carrying. And so the Jesus in her uh, spoke to this little baby in Elizabeth's womb. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we were so filled with the Spirit that when we walk in church, when we go in a restaurant, when we go anywhere, where the people know us, in the bank, in the store, wherever we might be, that they sense some presence and that they can even feel the presence of God. Now, Paul had this same experience. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, the Scripture says, Now God worked unusual miracles... By the hands of Paul. What did he do? Well, the next verse tells us. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And so Paul was so filled with the Spirit that even the clothing that he had on his body, it was like the Spirit of God had rubbed off on that clothing, as it were. And so if he even took an apron or a handkerchief and a sick person was able to touch that, the healing power of Jesus just transferred right on to them. And so what I'm saying is, and what the Scripture is teaching, 
When a person is covered over by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, there will be uh, a power and an effectiveness in that person's ministry. Now, let me ask you this question. How about your ministry? Do you have any power? Those of you who teach in our education department of this church, you lead a connection group. When you stand up to teach, do you have any power? Do you have any effectiveness? When you're standing up there teaching your lesson and you, were, you had your notes and you had your Bible and you had prepared and you had prayed and here you stand and there the class sits, do you feel the power of God? Do they feel the power of God? Is there anything in you that is being transmitted to them so that as they're sitting in your class, their hunger for God grows? Those of you who lead, I mean, if you're a connection group leader, that is a tremendous question. When is the last time in your teaching that somebody fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and got saved in your class? When is the last time, you say, well, everybody in my class is saved. Well, when's the last time when all those saved people in your class, some of them came in there with a burden or with anxiety or something? When is the last time in your teaching, that is your ministry, that in your ministry, somebody was set free from a bondage. When is the last time one of the people in your class came up to you and said to you after the class, I can never thank you enough for what you just said because while you were teaching today, the Spirit of God either gave me an answer to a question, gave me wisdom on a decision, or the Holy Spirit set me free from something that I've been struggling with. And so it's a fair question for all of us. Is there power in our ministry? Now, the, sec- the second way that the anointing of the Holy Spirit shows up is in our conversations. It's not just spiritual. Sometimes it is very practical. So go back to Acts chapter 6, and let's see this in Stephen's life. Certainly in his ministry, he did great wonders, and he did signs among the people. His ministry had power. And then in verse 9 it says, There arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freed men. What is this? This expression talks about Jewish slaves who had been taken to Rome and then they had been released and now they're back in Jerusalem. So they were the freed men. They had been freed from Roman oppression. But they were uh, Jews. They were not Christians. Syrians, Alexandrians. And those from Cilicia and Asia. And they were disputing with Stephen. Stephen was teaching about Jesus. And these were devout Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they're questioning and arguing with Stephen. And in verse 10, a very interesting thing is said. It says, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And so in the conversation that Stephen had with these men who were argumentative and trying to pick a fight with him, they were not able to do it because he spoke with wisdom. And he spoke under the covering and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so even his words, when I was studying for this, you know the verse that came to my mind in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 1. I read it last week in my own Bible reading. A soft answer turns away wrath. Say that with me. A soft answer turns away wrath. Turn the person next to you. Did you get that? Did you hear what he just said? A soft answer turns away wrath. And if that's true, then the opposite's also true. A feisty answer, uh, answer starts a fight. And so in our conversations with each other, you know the spiritual life, the Christian life may be, it, I think it is just as practical as it is spiritual. 
I mean, the first point, man, Peter has power in his shadow, and Steve, uh, Paul is healing people with his, with his handkerchief, and Stephen's doing similar things. And wow, these men had a spiritual power. They did, but they also had something practical going on in their lives. They were able to have conversations with people and not have World War III. They, they weren't fight. They, were, they had convictions, but they had wisdom in how they conveyed those convictions. And so, a gentle answer turns away wrath. One pastor said, you know, so many times you hear people talking about the Spirit-filled life, and some say, well, the proof that you're filled with the Spirit is that you speak in unknown tongues. This pastor said, no, the proof that you're filled with the Spirit is that you control the one tongue that you do have. <laughs> and so the Christian life is much more practical than we might lead it or think that it is. So our conversations, you know, we can argue and, and disagree and, and, and have all those exchanges, but even in those settings, it should be done with love and it should be done with tenderness. And I think I said this last Sunday morning in my sermon or sometime recently I have said, it should be done in a non-combative way. There should be a, we should be diffusers of controversy, not instigators of controversy. So our conversations are very important to God. What does the scripture say in Colossians? Let your words be seasoned with salt. And somebody has said we should make our words sweet because one day we may have to eat them. And there's a lot of truth in that too. So this anointing of the Holy Spirit shows up in our ministry. We have power. We have effectiveness. You, you, you should notice that in your ministry. And it shows up in your conversations. Let me give you another verse. I just quoted Proverbs chapter 15, 1. Let me give you one. I want to read it to you. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32. Just write the reference down. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. In other words, to God, it would be better to control your temper than it would to be the President of the United States. It would be better to control your spirit than it would be to be the Governor of the State of Texas. That's what it says. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And a person who is covered over by the Spirit of God, who is under the influence of the Spirit of God, who has the special anointing of God on and in his life, he is able or she is able to control their temper, to control their words, and to have healthy conversations. Well, that is so true. We have to be very careful with our words. We want to make sure that our words are tender, and gentle and soft and kind and that they edify others and build others up and not tear them down or hurt their feelings. And I would imagine we've all struggled in this area and we've gotten it wrong at times and we've used our words in ways that we never should have. But God can forgive us for what we've done in the past and God can give us a new beginning and He can help us to use our words in the right way. It all comes down to whether or not we're filled with the Spirit. That's really the bottom line because when a person is filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that person is going to have a power in his or her ministry and that person's words are going to be gentle and kind and loving and filled with faith. And so I think this is probably a good uh, 
barometer for us that we can kind of take our own spiritual blood pressure, as it were, and to see, well, how am I doing when it comes to my relationship with God? Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I walking in the power of the Spirit? Or am I living in the flesh? And one of the things that we can look at is our ministry. Do we have any power as we try to minister and help others? Or do we have no power at all? And then in our conversations, are our conversations loving and kind and redemptive and forgiving? Or are they fault-finding and judgmental and harsh and mean-spirited and trying to tear others down. And I think just by asking ourselves those questions, we can determine whether or not we're filled with the Spirit. And so, Christian friend, I would say to you today, if you know that you're saved, but you know you're not filled with the Spirit, just remember this, the Spirit is living in you because you have received Jesus Christ. And to be filled with the Spirit, it literally means to be controlled by the Spirit. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When a person is drunk with wine or alcohol, he is under the influence. He's controlled by that alcohol. But when a person is filled with the Spirit, that simply means we are controlled by the Spirit. We say what He wants us to say. We go where He wants us to go. We act how He wants us to act. And so we should all pray, God, fill me with your Spirit. Help me to be controlled and obedient to your Spirit so that my life will honor you. Thanks for joining us on Peace by Believing. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.